And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 238 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How's it going, Brian? Uh, getting ready for my new job next week. Yeah? Yeah. Excited? Uh, excited, nervous, you know, all those normal things. Yep. Yeah. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. But hey, at least you've got a, a log weekend built into your first week. <laughs> I do have that, yes. Yeah. Yeah, my house is an absolute destruction zone right now though because i'm building a new office downstairs so like i've got books everywhere and boxes all over the floor and it's a mess kids at home from school yep that's that's so i'm a little stressed out right now for from just from all that big mess that's yeah. fair that's fair well i am uh not doing anything thanksgiving related this year other than just cooking some for my own enjoyment so, I am uncharacteristically relaxed this week. Wow, that's nice. This is that's normally nice. about when the, oh god, I've got to deal with my family, <laughs> yes. kicks in. Yep. All right, then. So, anyway, let's talk about comics. Hard All pivot. Right. Hard pivot. Aquaman, number 65, the end of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run. Yeah, man, I'm kind of sad about that because it's been real, real good. Me too. I I am curious, too, to see what we get next because this is one of the, the handful of books that we don't know what's coming after, after Future State. Future State, yeah. Um, and I have, like, for the entire time I have read comics, I've always had an Aquaman book on my list. Well, it's super interesting. Like, this was the one that, like, we weren't sure for a real, real long time if this was the last issue or not. Yeah. Yeah. We know there's a 66 that's part of uh, Endless Winter. Right. But we don't know if there's a 67 or what. Right. Um. But yeah, like, I'd say of of the Aquaman of the last decade, this is one of the strongest runs, I think. Yeah, it's been real, real good. And what a, what a great ending, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you notice? I guess we're going to talk about everything, but what happens first? Um, because spoilers, maybe. Uh, I mean, the cover pretty much gives everything away. Yeah, and true. not to mention all the ads that ran in the back of every book. Well, so. that's what I was about to ask. The only book I actually noticed the ad in was this one. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know oh, why. Yeah. I don't know why like, either. Yeah. I flipped the page of this one. I'm like, hmm. This is a weird place to put that ad, but then I didn't I didn't see that ad in any other book because I guess I just hit the he the to be continued at the end of each book and was like, oh, okay, close the book, the rest is ads. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, it was in pretty much every DC book this week. Yeah. Um so Aquaman versus Orm. Yep. As narrated by Mother Shark, which made me very happy. I love that we got some more Mother Shark. Yeah. 
Um, I also feel like in the best kind of way, Mother Shark works as, as this sort of Kelly Sue DeConnick, almost like self-insert thing. Yes, I, 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 like very clearly, she was using that to as her voice. Yes, but I think I think across her run a little bit because she has this. Uh-huh. Like, if you follow her on social media, if you've been on on like any of her mailing lists, like she has a tendency to like identify with and sort of talk about herself in terms of like a mother shark. I think it's 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 a little bit adorable, but it also works really well. And I think here, yeah, lets her lets her also say her goodbye at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. Clearly, like super super clearly, at least the last five or six pages of that narration is one hundred percent her. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, on the one hand, I feel like it's exactly the sort of, of, of ending to a big fight that you, you kind of want to see in a superhero book, like all the allies rally and help Aquaman. And we see sort of the whole cast together again. And that's always satisfying. Yeah. I mean, you very clearly, I mean, there's, there's nothing surprising about like how this conflict and fight resolves. It's very superhero, very. You know, like you said, oh, he's down, but, you know, his strength is that is the fact that he's good and has made friends, right? And, well, I think, and has allies. I think the thing that stands out to me the most, and this is maybe not surprising given our general love of this character, or these characters, are the Mara and Dolphin moments. Yes. Yep. Like, I think those are the best. And then the random... <laughs> The random, like, lieutenant to Orm who gets a bunch of of time in this issue. I yeah, think pilot. is really great. Pilot, yes. Yes. Well, but it, to be fair, they have been building him up to this. No, right? no, I, I don't think it's out yeah. of the blue, but it's it's not a character whose name I could remember at the same time. So, like, a newer character kind of gets... Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and Lernea. Lernea gets some time. Like, I, I do. I uh, Okay, I'm super happy that, that we get keep this character around, because yeah. I love her. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what, what, what kind of elevates this beyond the actual Aquaman Orm piece, is everyone around him kind of getting their moments and getting to be just really fantastic. Okay, yeah, and I, there was, there was one thing in particular, like when it's all over, right, when it's, when Orm finally, yeah, he's defeated, whatever. And, you know, asks Aquaman, are you going to kill me, this, that, and the other, right? And he makes the thing. And then it's Jackson who makes the <laughs> the, the the speech at the end, right? Yes. About, no, this is why we're, be- you know, this is what making, being able to make a choice is. And, you know, being able to make a choice is showing your strength or whatever, this whole thing. Like, I loved that for two reasons. One is, it's so much what I have come to think of as his character. To, to be the one that says that. Right. Right? The second is, it very clearly positions him for what we know is going to show up in future state. Yeah, there's like like that little fist bump moment. Because right. He, he, he says his piece, and then he turns to Arthur. He's like, I just stepped on your whole thing, didn't I? And all Arthur does is fist bump him, and there's a sort of yep. like passing the torch in that it, fist it, bump. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I did love that. Uh, the other thing I love coming out of this is how brilliant was it for her to give us this, yeah, Atlantis, like the whole conflict that we, like, literally every single time we see the turmoil in Atlantis, right? Yeah. It's about the throne, 
mm-hmm. right? So what if there's just not a king or queen anymore? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, oh, hey, we know how to solve this problem. Yes. Um, yeah. I also love that she takes this chance not just to wrap up her run, but to deal with a lot of threads that were started going, some of these even going back to before Rebirth. Yeah, the new 52 um, stuff. But especially in, was it Jurgen's writing? at the beginning of rebirth or was it abnet it was abnet it's abnet yeah yeah um but like the idea of the widowhood being yeah. so disconnected yep um the idea of the ninth tried which was a strong focus like when stepan shayet came in yep um well that was kind of dolphin's whole thing right right yeah um but seeing those pieces of the rebirth run the abnet run also really be acknowledged and move into a new place mm-hmm. i think one I, I think it does two things one it makes this run feel like more than just kelly sudaconic came in and played with the toys and put them back in the box right but two it really does feel like with future state coming up with not knowing what's coming next with death metal and generations and all of that hanging in the air right now it really does make this feel like the end of one era in Aquaman. It, absolutely. And moving it into another. It, 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 it closes the, the, the series, so to speak. Yeah. And you know, that doesn't mean that we can't have another. But any, I think any story that comes next is going to be like a new series. You know, think think yeah. of it like you know a, a series of books, right? Where maybe you know, each each book is its own story and all, but like... Where the next story that's going to be told is something completely yeah. different. It's not part of this. It's like seeing the. Yeah. It's like seeing the Doctor regenerate to a new actor. Yeah, ex- that's like, there you go. The that's DNA of the thing is going to have to change for the next. Sure. Yep. The next stretch. Uh, yeah, and I did love the little touchstones that we get, like uh, like the fact that we just get to see Doctor Thanetta again. Yeah. Right? You know, it's just one panel, but like just to say, yep, she's still there and still being a doctor and still awesome. And you know, we see Kale, right, uh-huh. saying kind of goodbye. Like, I love that we get these characters that have been introduced. Like, they're they're here now. Yeah, yeah. I'm also really glad that we get, even if it's just a couple of pages, Aquaman and Mara and Andy just kind of living a quiet life on land. Yep. Um, I also love the, clearly he has schemed this whole thing with the whole, oh yeah, this was the only, these were the only clothes I had cleaned, it's time to do laundry, here. I laid out some clothes for you, why don't I take the kid and you go change, and oh no, we've gotta go deal with this conflict, oops, it's actually a party for us and a wedding? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I do, I do love the, (laughs) so... He's got he's got cereal for Andy, <laughs> and she's like, "You can't just give her a bowl of sugar for breakfast." He's like, "It's not all sugar. There's also other forms of sugar." Wow, no wonder it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Your mother is trying to ruin ruin cereal for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's almost as bad as that time she murdered me. <laughs> you deserved it. I love it. I love it. So good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I I don't know exactly how you follow this. I I like the idea of it being a little more focused on Jackson. Honestly, like let Arthur and Mara have their time. Yes, yeah. please, for the love of Rao. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I am excited to see what comes next, both in future state and after. And I'm gonna miss Kelly Sudaconic either way. Yeah. Even yeah, super, even as good, good as whatever comes next is. Yeah. All I right. Dark Knights Death Metal number five and Justice League number fifty-seven. We're gonna start with Justice League because that actually comes first. A thing neither of us knew as we were reading these books. Well, you know it happened. Yeah, um, and and it wasn't. It's not critical that you read them in that order. No, but, yeah. like the the connecting point is Lex Luthor. But overall, I feel like Justice League is more about Nightwing than anything else. I, I I would agree with that, and kind of bringing back in Cyborg and and Starfire. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. So this is the conclusion of kind of the five part story that we've had going on here. Doom Metal. Yeah, which is, um essentially Nightwing and Lex Luthor, right? Yeah. Leading this team to free the Legion of Doom from uh, Perpetua's throne, which is giving her, you know, this power. Yeah. There's yeah. an idea in this book that I I like a lot, I think because it actually hits a sort of personal note for me. Okay. Which is Nightwing's whole kind of framing device, monologuing, or narration about... Yeah, always having grown up watching the Justice League, being one of the first people like in the room with them, even though he snuck in, like thinking they knew what they were doing and they were perfect and they were so heroic and on top of things and having come to realize how utterly lost they were sometimes and how they were just making it up. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of like when fi kids figure out that their parents don't know everything, right? Like they're just winging it. Well, like, exactly. Like, yeah. uh. I feel like, and this is, this is one of those things, I, I work in theater with, like, late teen, early 20s kids a lot, uh -huh. like, high school age, college age, and, like, one of the things that I try to push, because I, you know, I'm usually working with them in a capacity that's, like, stage management, tech, there's a lot of problem solving involved. And one of the things I try really hard to push is, look, it may, you know, sometimes I'm figuring this stuff out too, and I don't want you guys just to assume that I have an answer to everything because that's counterproductive. Because I feel like pushing that idea that, oh yeah, no, we know what we're doing because we're in charge is so, right. so dangerous. Yeah. No, what you have is you have experience and therefore you have Kind of more tools in your tool bag, but that doesn't mean you have a solution. Right. Right. And yeah. that's, that's I think, something that, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I am of an age group that, I mean, I'm a millennial. So, like, the moment I entered the adult world, already, like, media and entertainment were like, oh, ha, 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 these kids who graduated into a recession and no job market are such fuck-ups. Look at them. How dare they kill every industry that is actually bad. Um, that is actually bad. <laughs> I love it. And like it, it took a minute to hit that hole, and it took like a very earnest conversation with my mother to hit that hole. No, like everyone is fucking up all the time. Adults aren't real, and anyone who tells you they are is just trying to consolidate their own power. They're a myth. Um, or adulthood is a myth. That knowing 
is a myth. So, like, I really love that part of this issue because if I could beam one idea into everyone's brain, yeah, it would be that, no, anyone who tells you they always know what they're doing is absolutely lying to you. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I liked about it is I like that it's, that it's Dick, right, who goes in and sees this and has this belief that, oh, that, you know, they're, they're perfect and they, you know, always win and da-da-da, right? As opposed to, like, Damien, who would totally sneak in. Yeah. But Damien would never believe that they were perfect. Right. right? Like, like I, it's part of, yeah. I'm not sure any of the other Robins would have believed that. Correct. Yeah. And I like... And part of, the, part of that's the, you know, part of that is the time of from which he is from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like it for that reason. I also like the idea that, and I hope this is what happens... This puts Nightwing in a place where I think the thing I have struggled with so much, like, stay interested in Nightwing comics over, again, the last decade. Sure. Is that he's been so isolated and alone. Other than that one run at the beginning of Rebirth where, like, they built up a cast and they gave him supporting characters and then kind of undid most of it. Yeah. He's been pretty much alone and on his own, and I don't think he's particularly effective as that or interesting as that because he has so much history and he has he's in that place where it, it feels kind of like that that early twenty tens millennial bashing in a way, like the whole Yeah. Oh no, he's just a kid, he can't handle No, fuck that. He is the most equipped. To well, stand I, up and lead I, a and team. it's funny. I think he's in a he's in, I think he's in a really hard position in that. Honestly, I think that's one of the reasons they try to make him so solo and alone is so he can seem like he is handling it and doing things. You know, he is capable and, and doing things on his own and that. But I think that is kind of counterproductive in that it makes him seem like he's trying to prove something. And I don't think I don't think anyone is more mature for going it alone. Right. I think okay. look, this perfect is... example. Like you there's no argument one of the most mature and and experienced and done care is Aquaman and he just called in all his friends. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like I don't know this is Again, maybe, maybe just, maybe I'm using you in this podcast as therapy. It's been a while since we've been to Jenna's therapy <laughs> corner. That's true. But like one of the things that it took me, one of the things that I was much happier once I figured out, let me put it that way, was as someone who is not inherently a people person or particularly extroverted, like mm-hmm. realizing that there is still value in building a team and working with people and collaborating oh, yeah. and how much more I enjoy working that way and how if I let myself actually be comfortable with being a voice of reason in the room and helping run the show, like that is satisfying. And I think lets me be way more effective in theater in whatever project than if I just try to do it myself. Yep. Well, that's just it. I don't care how introverted you are. You still need people. So, right. Yeah. And like, that's, I don't know, maybe that's where I'm coming from with this Nightwing thing. Like, I feel like there's so much more room to show him as a fully fleshed out adult character by putting him in a room with people who respect him than by letting him be alone and scraping by. I agree. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm super hopeful in this. There was, and I can't remember if it was this particular issue. I think it was like one of the ones, like 
one or a couple before, where he talks to uh, uh, Starfire and Cyborg, right? And is like, yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping you know that we can have start something new for a, as a future, right? Like we don't have to be what we were, but I, like I don't want basically him saying I don't want to be alone anymore, right? Yeah, like. I know that I have friends, and I know that I have these relationships, and that's that's good. So maybe we can. I would love to see them do, and I'm wondering if that's kind of what it's going with in the end of this, where he says, "Because we're the Justice League." Yeah. Right. Like I really wonder if that shot of them right there is kind of a statement of, "Hmm, maybe there's going to be some big major shift." change-ups in the Justice League or who is considered the Justice League and they don't try to do another Titans or New Titans or that kind of book, but like now they are the Justice League. <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see and yeah. I don't want to I don't want to right now because this is my urge regurgitate a bunch of the like rumors and speculation that have happened around generations because what yeah. it is now is not what it was. Correct. But I do feel like I do feel like this moment has kind of that that same energy that is moving the story forward and moving like the 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 universe and we'll, we can get into this a little bit with death metal too but moving the entire continuity forward a little bit. Uh, because I do think it has that potential. The other thing I wonder though we know that the future state story for the Titans is that they have built a school and tried to train new heroes. Yep. And that that has gone catastrophically badly. Uh. But I wonder if after that, we're going to see a Titans book that is them starting the school. Oh, yeah? Because this feels like it could lead into something like that, too. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, the idea of doing the Titans where you had these older who aren't you know, teenagers anymore. They're full adults, right? They're full. Yeah. I, I, I kind of going. I hate using the word adult now, but after after the comments well, that you made okay. earlier, but adults are fine. Adults exist, and there are certainly legal and statutory <laughs> definitions that are relevant right. and important and good. But adulthood, as there you go. knowing knowing <laughs> how to exist in the world, or the concept of adulting as a verb. Yes, that's one of the very look. Linguistic prescriptivism is violence. Language is constantly changing and evolving. But yep. there is a small handful of words that drive me insane, and adulting as a verb is one of them, because it's perpetuating well, there, this myth. Anytime there's a word that's like that, it's because it's been co-opted for a use that has a specific meaning, yeah. and then has then caused that word to, to kind of become something you can't use anymore. Yeah. How's that? At, at any rate, um, yeah. <laughs> that is an aside... That is, yeah, sorry. I, I I could see this almost like Young Avengers Avengers Academy thing where like, okay, yeah. you guys are in the Justice League and you are our training and outreach department. We have to get bigger and be bigger and be organized. And Nightwing, you have a foot in each of these worlds, so we want you to head up be our Hank Pym, but better, and head up this school. 
Yeah, and that's kind of where I was, where I started going with that is, you know, you, you had this where they tried to do like the Titans and the new Teen Titans or the you know the Teen Titans, mm-hmm. and maybe that's not something that you have anymore. Maybe and maybe they're leaning that way with Young Justice as well, right? Yeah, where it's you know you just have kind of a spectrum of different age and experiences that work together and where you know the older ones who have more experience mentor the younger ones and like yeah. maybe that's a better thing well and as you mentioned young justice yeah how perfectly would where that series ended fit in with yep the nightwing generation of the of the teen titans the titans stepping in in this trainer mentor role i love it i love it um wild I, speculation I, and guessing but it feels okay. right Yes, it is. I think this is probably a good point for me to insert this, which I wanted to talk about. Did you read any of the um, Endless Winter like preview stuff that they put in the back of all of them? I didn't. I start okay. I started to, and then I saw it was like six pages, and decided no, I'm I'm gonna read this whole thing anyway. I don't need the sales pitch. Let me just walk into it blind, relatively blind. Um. Yeah, well, there's there's one piece of it that I just have to mention. Yeah. And it is basically this line right here. Um, Bent on revenge uh, and mad with power, the Frost King's thirst for vengeance can be traced back to a bygone era when he was defeated by a proto-Justice League made up of Queen Hippolyta, Swamp Thing, the Viking Prince, and Black Adam. Ah, uh, yes, Justice League Viking. Yes. Or Avengers 1 million BC. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think we might have actually made that comparison when we talked about the solicitations. Yeah, because, like, like, okay. I might have cut it from that episode, but we might have made it. I I still, still absolutely adore that Marvel and DC riff on each other's ideas to this day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, The other other thought that that brings out, speaking of that and future state, while we're making wild connections that may or may not be right. The yeah. the whole ancient threat that Black Adam, ruler of planet Conduct, has to deal with <laughs> yep. could be endless winter. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking it very well possibly yeah. is, yeah. What, especially since, obviously, he has a tie in yeah. know, kind of his first appearance or whatever this is, yeah. 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 Alright, moving... Moving along to Death Metal proper, Dark Knight's Death Metal number five. Lex is here to save the day. <laughs> and Lobos? Live in Las, live in Las Vita Lobos? Perfect, perfect. <laughs> We're you. done. Uh, let me just write down the episode title now. <laughs> live in La Vida. thank you yeah (laughs) no problem this avoids the 1045 oh god what am i gonna call this i want to figure (laughs) out the name for this so i can schedule it to post there you go dilemma you're welcome um (laughs) (sighs) yes death metal number five in which Lex Luthor convinces Wonder Woman and an army of Lobos to send Batman and Superman to destroy the world. Legit. (laughs) Yep. I, on the one hand, it absolutely logically follows perfectly everything that has come so far. On the other hand, that that sentence 
Lex Luthor convince Wonder Woman and her army of Lobos to let Batman and Superman destroy the world should not actually work. <laughs> FY- FYI, I have z- I-, I now have zero doubt when Scott Snyder says you had no idea how far this is going. This is what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have Batman and Superman destroy the world. <laughs> Superman leading an army of villains and an undead Batman and his army of zombies. Yeah. I I love that they both fess up to to Wonder Woman though. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um yeah, I, I... nothing <laughs> about this should work, Brian. Nothing nope. about this should make any goddamn sense. I do love though Superman showing up and saying there's no group I'd rather stand with on this one. What do you say? And they turn and it's like Granny goodness and the Riddler <laughs> and like all the villains and they're like, uh, you sure you got the right room, Superman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. And then Giganta who puts forth the, the obvious trope of, let me guess, you want us bad guys to team up with you and save the Earth? Nope. Actually, I want you to destroy it. <laughs> it's beautiful. It really is. Um, yeah. I also feel like we do not mention often enough how absolutely insane Greg Capullo and Jonathan Glapion <laughs> and FCO Placencia's art is in this. I mean, there are there are scenes where like there are armies and armies of characters converging. And like, yeah. I don't know, characters half a centimeter tall, you know exactly who they are. Yeah. Like Oh, where is Waldo book does not have this much detail in its crowds. Um, can I, can I say might be my favorite line in this whole issue, though? Please. <laughs> it's Superman going, okay, yeah, the, the, the big evil, the, all the evil from these other Earths are coming. Here they come. Da, da, da. Uh, get, so get ready. And Penguin goes, I have a very sharp rock. <laughs> what the fuck? Hey, that's all he needs. Hey, if you, if, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, Batman and his army of zombies is, is particularly, um, I do like that. Like, you get Don Hall as Dove, right? Uh-huh. Oh, uh, you get, uh, I think Airwave is back there somewhere, yeah. I see oh, Liberty so Bell good. and Our Man. I'm mentioning them because I actually know who they are. Yeah. And uh, Matlash. Yeah, the, the, he's the Western guy. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And is yep. that in the very, very back uh uh Guardian? It is. It is, yeah. Who's the blue and purple just behind Dead Batman's Grim Reaper scythe that I just thought through? Uh that is a you're talking about the in like literally right behind him with the red mask or purplish mask. Yeah. Um that is Hawk from that is a or or maybe it's Kestrel. I can't remember what her name was, but it was some aspect of the Hawk and Dove thing. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like there are there are so many, and I know a lot of them are like yeah. Golden Age JSA characters who I just do. Oh, not sure, know. sure, sure. Yeah. There's Sandman and Adam and yeah, yeah, yeah. Our man. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Okay. Uh, I do have to point this one out because I'm not sure if this is an actual character or not. But there's one way back in the background that very clearly looks like, um, oh god, I can't remember his name. 
uh, from Marvel fanfare, the Nuff said, or uh, what? Uh, oh, uh, not brand Ech. Yeah, not brand Ech. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, where you know he's got the pot helmet on. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> God, I can't remember his name for some reason. It's, I'm, I'm not Paste Pot point. Pete. No, no, I'm drawing a blank. Forbush man. There you go. Thank you. Had to dig deep for that one. Uh, yeah. Anyway, good, good stuff. Holy cow. We do, however, get a super small glimpse of... So, uh, yeah, this, this, I now understand what the last 52 might be about, and all the, all the one shots that are talking about right before everyone's last stand, the last stand for reality, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah. Um, we, we, so... The Batman who laughs has created these other Earths, like this his version of the fifty two Earths, right? Yeah. And we just get a couple of glimpses of what those might be, of who characters on them might be. Mm-hmm. Oh damn, this Wonder Woman looks badass. <laughs> <laughs> or Wonder Batwoman, I don't. <laughs> is so is that Wonder Woman the Wonder Woman who is on the Art Germ variant? Is that? I do not know. I don't know. Uh, I don't have... It doesn't look like the same armor. I have no clue what character this is on the Art Germ variant. Oh, is Cole the Mara Batman? Is that what this is? Yeah, that's what I'm guessing, yeah. Okay. Yes, you're right. Cole is... No, Cole is the daughter of Batman and Wonder Woman. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna cut out half of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we also get a, like, other ones that you hadn't probably thought of, like Batman as Spectre. Yep. Which scares the shit out of me. (laughs) Batman as a spirit of vengeance, though, makes so much sense. Oh, absolutely. Like, like how Bruce Wayne seeking vengeance? Yeah. For the death of his parents? Yeah. Uh, Of course. Yeah. But like, yeah, these are, these are going to be fun to see. Yeah. I mean, and that clearly has been one of the appeals of, like, ever since the original Dark Knights, right? Was the whole Batman as other characters, right? Yeah. 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 Just the fun of playing in that sandbox. Some of them have been truly inspired, though, like Pearl. <laughs> Pearl was just <laughs> oh my phenomenal. God. Alrighty. Moving on. Rorschach number two. <sighs> okay. What a surprise. I really like Tom King writing uh, <laughs> noir mysteries. Yeah. I'm so shocked and amazed. <laughs> I love this. It, like, this issue yeah. basically, and I think, I mean, I don't know if this was script, art, both. I imagine, I imagine it was probably in the script, but like, starting and ending on the same shot at different times of this apartment building. Just to really drive home the idea that this whole issue is basically in real time in this apartment. I say real time. It's split in two timelines, but the investigation is happening in real time in this apartment. That it's almost this like bottle episode. Yeah. It's such a smart choice because I don't know that I would have consciously thought about this as like a self-contained story without seeing that framing device. Can I say something else that I absolutely am incredibly happy about with this series so far? And this issue in particular, it's super it's super easy to see it in. 
And one is how much of an homage they're paying to Watchmen mm-hmm. without trying to be Watchmen or a sequel to Watchmen. Yeah, like the thing that I think... Well, a perfect example is like the second page of this, right? Is an 11-panel page. Yeah. Right? Like it's very clearly in the style of, but not trying to do a 12-pan... So it's not trying to be Watchmen. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. just that kind of thing is, and then I love how you have the two timelines and the color is the differentiation, but it's like that, like the top three panels, right? Like you see this couch and these pictures that go across the whole thing. Yeah. But they're taking place in two different timelines. And like, you can see that it's super, super cool. Well, I want to come back to that in a moment, but before we yeah. get too far away from the homage idea, I think the thing that this issue has crystallized for me that makes this work so well is this doesn't feel like it's telling, trying to tell a story about the Watchmen. Right. It feels like it's trying to tell a story in the world of the Watchmen. Yep. And that's, I think, a critical difference for this one. It is very, very much. Now, back to the, the two timelines. The third page, and I promise we're not going to go through this book page by page. No, no. Um, we get four horizontal panels. Yeah. Widescreen. Current time, flashback, flashback, current time. Did you also feel the urge to, like one of those spot the differences puzzles in a Sunday paper, <laughs> uh, compare every little detail? Of the past and present in these photos? Or these, pa- these panels? no idea what you're talking about, Alex. It's not like I was like, wait, is that post-it note here in the in the back one? Or is it in the current one? Or is it, what, what, what? Yeah, what has changed yeah. about this scene? And the answer is, damn near nothing? Yeah, not a goddamn thing. Nothing. Which I also thought was brilliant, by the way. Yeah. Like, I could not resist that urge, and I, I, I mean, I probably spent 15 minutes. Like, there's got to be something that's different, right? But, like, even going through, like, a post-stamp-sized portion at a time, like, I could not find a thing. Beyond just, like, uh, uh, beyond Jorge Farnes drew this panel four times, damn near identically. Like, there are not wild Like, I'm even wondering if it's if most of it is the same and like like it's that much the same like if 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 it's just different layers and does he do does he work on paper or on computer i th- i truthfully don't know um cuz if it's on computer i can very easily see that you know 98% of this being the same thing and him like just redrawing the chair on a different layer right yeah, and that may very well be what's going on. Like, it's that much the same. Like, even, like, the specs and stuff are in the yeah. same place. Like, so. I'll put it this way. If he actually redrew every piece of this from scratch, this identically, yeah. he might, in fact, be a mimeograph machine that has gained sentience. <laughs> a remarkably talented mimeograph machine, but a sure, mimeograph sure, sure. machine. Okay, but regardless, so, like, th- there's just some, there's some very cool layout and art tricks that are being done in this, yeah. which I very much appreciate and, and admire. I'm also going to say I stand by my theory from issue one on the coloring in this book, that okay. the timeline, 
plays across the color spectrum. Yes. Um, because our past is red-toned, and our present is a much cooler blue tone. Yep. And then there are some flashbacks that are... Yellow? Yellow, that are, like, not as far in the far past. Yep. Um, yeah, I I still could not begin to tell you what's actually going on. Yeah, I... Uh, well, uh, I, I think that uh, uh, it's interesting that you call this a bottle episode, because this very clearly doesn't do a whole lot to progress the the mystery of why they're trying, why they tried to kill this presidential candidate and that kind of stuff. It's really much, much more about who this one person was that was in the Rorschach mask. Yeah. and giving us some insight into who that person is and why he might have motivation at well, some point. Right. And like there's there was a question hanging at the end of one, I think, which was are Rorschach and Meyerson two different people? Are they the same person? Did Rorschach at some point like take over Meyerson's life? Right. And I don't know that this answers any of those questions, but it does create the connection okay. Meyerson did have something to do with the events of issue one. Yes. He is in some way connected. Like, I like that this is so far from the big question. Yep. But that it does root in, like, the shock, like, the twist from issue one. Yeah. yeah. This very easily could have been a, like, a Brubaker Phillips. Yes. Issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, it was, it was that good. It was, I uh, loved it. I also like that it isn't really, like, there is a mystery at the center of it, but it is not written as a mystery story, a murder mystery story that is solvable. Right. Like, going back to Heroes in Crisis, like, part of the reason I struggled with that is it was trying to be this solvable mystery, but it wasn't a solvable mystery. Right. And this, I think, works for me where that didn't as well, because it's not actually playing in the same sandbox even though like on paper sounding similar well I, I think the difference is like when you get the clues right you're the character gets the clues and solves them right yeah there. yeah so it moves on with it right yeah it's not giving you a clue and saying oh can you figure this out yeah yeah yep. fantastic for number 26 um i i'm probably going to be quick on this one but I do want to talk about it. I love this book. I think this is a great issue. Um, and I feel like... I talked at length about 25 setting up a new status quo. And introducing some new ideas into Dan Slott's run. And I feel like this does a good job of continuing to move us in those directions. Uh the big the biggest piece here at least certainly in terms of stuff that has generated buzz this week is franklin richards we learn is not in fact a mutant oh snap did he does he try to go to krakoa and gets the big nope basically he tries to use the forever gate since he can't pass through the krakoan gates now that his powers are gone and as he like starts to head that way professor x appears through the astral plane or whatever to him and says, okay, so you can't come here. As it would happen, you are not a mutant and you have never been a mutant. 
you so wanted to be one that your reality warping powers made you appear to be one and now that there is now that they're gone there is no trace that you were ever a mutant wow yeah so he basically his powers made him a mutant yes interesting yeah like and i get why maybe some people have brushed up against this but i i don't know it reads like something that that a kid would convince himself of a little kid with the ability to alter reality yeah i think would absolutely like believe this easy fiction in 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 such a way that like okay that's true now yeah well i it, it... The I guess a, a clear example that I can think of, right, are people who, like, imagine if there's somebody who really, really had reality warping powers, right? Uh-huh. Who is into the whole trying to be a real vampire thing. Yeah. Right? Like, they would totally make themselves a real vampire. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, But that's the kind of thing that this book is doing now. We have... The return of the Future Foundation crew from Jeremy Whitley's run. Oh, nice. Uh, the Fantastic Four used the Forever Gate to bring them home. Which means that now, with Johnny Storm living with his soul-bound partner from space, the scroll who pretended to be Alicia and almost married Johnny, or did marry Johnny? I don't know. That was before my time reading. Um is back on Earth, and had not heard of the ceasefire between the Kree and the Skrull. So she sees Nikki and, uh, uh... Oh, shoot, what's the what's the other kid's name? I can't remember now. Joe. Yeah. She sees Joe and Nikki and is like, oh, well, if you two are actually here not killing each other, this must be true. I will stay and let you tell me everything that has happened. <laughs> um... Can can I just say the way you paused when you said uh the scroll who was Alicia Masters? The yep. only thing that immediately popped in my head was the scroll who laughs. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a scroll laugh. I think that's like a I, dove's cry. <laughs> I know, but like, come on, somebody's no, no, ever gonna know. have that. I know. Yeah. Yep. Um I just wanted to get that dove's cry thing out there. Honestly. Fair enough. Also now a bunch of which strangely enough the last time that happened is when uh, Johnny married the uh, scroll that looked like Alicia that's yeah. when Dove's cried yeah And Nikki and Joe do not like this scroll <laughs> because yeah, they are very protective of and loyal to Alicia Yes as they should be Yes Um also the big threat from the first arc of this series makes her reappearance so okay uh lots of stuff going on such a good book strongly recommend catching up on it if you haven't been reading it all right marvel's voices indigenous voices one shot what did you think uh i i enjoyed it um i i like it's very clearly it's an you know it's a it's a one-shot anthology little thing um but i i, I did enjoy the stories that got told i really want to know if we're going to get more of this first Echo story. It very much seemed like a setup for something, didn't it? It did. So Carol Danvers shows up uh, after Echo is done dealing with some, or in the process of dealing with some just, I think, random thugs, and invites her up to space to help fight a god. Right. 
on behalf of a people who have taken a vow of nonviolence. And they get to space, and immediately Carol turns into Loki and disappears. Yeah. So Echo has to... Take by! (laughs) Yeah. So Echo has to deal with this on her own, and Echo is not a character who I know super well. I don't either. Um... I know she's from the Bendis Daredevil run and has mostly just shown up in it, but I am super interested in like this story and why Loki has pulled her into space and all of these things. There are a couple of clear hooks in this that sound like they're setting up, you know, an ongoing or at least yeah. a miniseries. I want more of this story. Or at least her showing up in a book for a, a art where she's a major player. No, yeah. give her her own book. No, I'm uh, just saying yeah. that I don't know what it's setting up, but it's at the very least it's that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that story is written by Rebecca Roanhorse with art by Wes Hoya Alvitre and colors by Lee Laffridge. Mm-hmm. Our second story is a Mirage story by Darcy Little Badger, drawn by Kyle Charles, colored by Felipe Sobriero. It's it, it this is this reminds me of kind of an old school uh New Mutants story. Yeah. Yeah. This is basically Mirage and Wolfsbane tracking down a kid who has mutant powers and accidentally injured a sheriff's kid. So because he is an indigenous because, kid, because the sheriff's chased kid, down. Yeah, yeah. Because the sheriff's kids robbed them and and hit his like little brother or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, it is very like sort of classic X Men story. Yeah. But uh, I love, uh, I, I do love Mirage and Wolfsbane in this together. I I do too. I think they are fantastic. I, I, I also love this idea at the end, we see um, uh, Storm and Nightcrawler show up uh-huh. on behalf of Krakoa. And th- at least this Indian reservation acknowledging and welcoming Kukro- Krakoa and allying with them. Yes, I love that idea. I do too. Yeah. Like, oh, so all of the reservations that exist potentially around, because, you know, they speak only for their reservation, but potentially all of these different reservations could be, you know, safe ground for for mutants and for Cohen. Yeah. Um, I also like the, the, the sort of stance that Mirage takes about having, being able to be many things, to have multiple identities, to not have to choose. Yeah, so the per the the the, per- the mutant that they rescue basically asks her. So, do you consider yourself? Uh, I, I think she's Cheyenne, right? Right. Or um, or Krakoa, and she's like both. And sometimes to- I'm a Valkyrie, a teacher, yeah. and a connoisseur of black coffee. Yeah. Krakoa isn't about assimilation. I'd raise hell before that happened. We can be many things, Julian, and have many families. Yeah, I love that. Then the third story is about Silver Fox. Yep. Silver Fox Blue Moon. This one's written by Stephen Graham Jones, penciled by David Cutler, inked by Roberto Poggi, and colored by Chris Peter. And this is not a character I'm super familiar with. This is someone from Wolverine's past? Yes, yes. This is... Because, you know, this goes back to when they first started exploring the idea that Wolverine wasn't just born, you know, in the early, like, 20s or whatever it was, that he actually has been around a really, really, really long time. Right. And has had all these different lives. And one part of that was uh, this part where he uh, 
essentially had a relationship with this Native American uh, character named Silver Fox. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I'm missing some of that history for this to have the fully intended impact on me. Um, just because, like, a lot of the, the like, I was, I was, I don't know, two thirds of the way through this before I realized this was a flashback. That's how little context I personally have. Oh, gotcha. Um, but I like this character, and I like yeah. the art in this story a lot. The art is, is is super great in this. Um, and yeah, this is a story that takes place even before she ever met Logan. Yeah, right. And it's essentially a story about you know who she was then and how she meets. Uh, I I think that it, the blue moon is the as the wolf. That's yeah. Yes. Yep. The adorable little wolf cub. Yes. Well, here, yes. <laughs> Only context I have for it. It's an adorable little wolf cub. It is an adorable little wolf cub. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's a comic book story, so things don't necessarily end happy in the end. But yeah. Yeah. I did get that. There's there are some uh very worrisome predictions of the future that I recognize. This was where I realized, oh, this is a flashback. This has to be a flashback because otherwise, how would anyone know what these mean? Uh, yeah. Clearly, things do not go great, but it was it was good to see. I don't know this character somewhere because this is not a character who I've seen around since I've been reading comics. Yeah this this was a this was this was a really really well done nice little anthology yeah. i liked it yep venom number 30 i again i'll keep this one quick this wraps up the uh venom beyond storyline and some of the beats in this probably go about the way kind of you'd expect them to go in this issue because we know venom's got to get back to his own earth for the null stuff that starts in a couple of weeks but this issue takes a moment to give venom and Dylan and uh, another character who I may have mentioned that this character's in the story before, but if not, I'm not going to do it here. Um, time to have like a year and a half of just calm and quiet and peace on this alternate earth before he comes back. And that was unexpected and really nice. Just like getting to see getting to see basically them have a family and have some quiet and get to be people for a bit. One, it feels like a huge victory, but two, like, it sets stakes in a way that are completely different and that I didn't expect. Maybe because, maybe because at some level the stakes already felt high enough in terms of big continuity, continuity-wide storytelling. But it's a nice, like, personal moment that, oh yeah, I want all these characters to get another shot at this at some point. Like, as dark as this book has been to this point, it never felt like there was an option for something like that. And now it's something I do want these characters to get. So I thought that was that was some really clever storytelling on Kate's part. And now we will talk about X-Men. Yay! <laughs> well, Alex, you were you were partially right. I was partially right? What was I yep. right about? You were right that Pog does mean sword. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so um, what we didn't realize is that then Pog or Park, Pog essentially is sword and sword, or sword with sword. Yes. Because <laughs> it turns out the big alligator monster is just a skin, which is a sword, <laughs> considered a sword, because the real creature is inside controlling. Yes. 
If I may deploy a very timely internet meme, Yo Pog, I heard you like swords, so I put a sword on your sword so you can have a sword when you sword. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so we start with X Force number fourteen. Uh huh. And essentially, we get uh, a series of of challenges, yes. and we just kind of go through these. Like just one out in, in one page, there's like a, just a page of panels where it's like challenge, 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 challenge. Um, and essentially, um, this is by the way, it's magic against Pogger Pog again, uh huh, without their swords again, yeah. And magic just figures this out and goes in and trashes after yep. being eaten on purpose, yeah. <laughs> and so she can pull it. the real sword breaker out of the crocodile skin, yes. Uh, then we get a, a, like I said, just a series of challenge after challenge after challenge, which I love the one of them having to roll rocks up a hill. Like yeah. The Sisyphus challenge, right? And, and, and Magic chasing her rock as it's rolling down the hill. Well, that's because Magic's all about rock and roll. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go on the record officially as saying this. Okay. Kevin Feige. Hi. Um, you're going to want to do something with mutants here in the future. And when you do, and you know what, I'll spot you two, three films. But sometime within that third film, if I do not see Wolverine on a catwalk in a fashion show, <laughs> I'm going to be deeply disappointed in you personally, Kevin Feige. I don't know if my approval matters to you or not. I'm guessing not. But on the off chance that it does, um, I need to see him do a little turn on a catwalk. On a catwalk? Yeah, on a catwalk. Well, clearly he's too sexy for his shirt. <laughs> I need to see him shake his little thing on a catwalk. On a catwalk, yeah, on a catwalk. Oh, and essentially this this just long, long series of um, uh, of challenges is to show us that basically Arako is just kicking Krakoa's ass. Yeah. So, like, we get up to, like, something stupid, like, 19 to 6 or something at one point. Yeah. And here's, let me be clear, I love this. I am still so into this and everything that is going on. But the one concern I had, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we got into what is, what is this contest really? Right. Was, how do you tell this story? How do you tell the story of a contest, of a scored contest? Mm Mm-hmm. In a way that doesn't end in, oh no, the only thing that really matters is the last fight because we go into the last fight tied. Right. And I think running up the clock and or running up the score and having all these just wild, insane challenges that were so far from what anyone expected this book to be is a really clever and fun distraction. Yes. But as as we're going to get to like if it there's was, if there's yeah. one if there's one thing that this book and I don't know maybe it's not a fair thing to ask them to solve cuz again just narratively I don't know how you have that. Yeah, I don't ha- I don't have tie. the solution. Right. And maybe maybe that's what I'm getting to is like this was like Thanos inevitable that it had to come down to a tie. Um, I love they just the made ride. It real, they did make it really interesting how yeah. we got to that tie, and we'll get yeah. to that. But yeah, I, I love the ride getting there. But if there's one thing that like I, I finished, and I just oh, 
it was that we still came down to a tie in some way. Now, there are three more issues. So how, how that tie gets resolved, I think, is going to be fascinating. Sure. Um, um I, I do. And again, I, I think we go back to um, even even with when we cause we've already said, that, you know, we're going to end up at a tie. And but I think even before there's still something going on where Saturnine is playing a bigger game than just this contest. I I agree. Right, like Red Root getting jarred, right? Yeah, is gonna have, and I think we're we're seeing some things set up where there are bonds and relationships and things that are forming between different members of the two different sides. Yeah, like the fact that Magic keeps having to fight Pog or Pog, right? Right, and we we even get oh my god, can I say? <laughs> We cannot skip over this page of um, notes to Mojo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where there are several of these contests that are that are basically you get like a a half paragraph write up or a couple of sentence write up of what happened, and then we see Mojo's notes about oh how we're going to make this or present yeah. this on the channels. This right? is the best concept for a recap page in the history of comic books. Where we get the whole, you know, Captain Britain lost to Iska, shattered, da, da, da. he's like, ooh, this could be an episode cliffhanger for the television show. This sounds yeah. good. But then, the Magic lost to Pogger Pog, just for the first time in their arm wrestling match. There was, however, a rematch in which she trounced him. And the notes are, hmm, in our version of this show, let's have Magic lose both times become Parker Park's love interest afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. We get the dance-off contest, which he says, ooh, this could be a good spin-off <laughs> dance contest. I like it. Uh, but just, just so good. So good. Um, Yeah. So we, we get through that, and then I love that Magic loses her contest. Not by not knowing the answer, but by spelling Magic M-A-G-I-S-K. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. was 100% a nod to why do characters have to be stupid about how they spell their names? Yeah, 100%. It's... This is why I wanted to go ahead and rip off the, the band-aid about the tie. Because, again, I love the how we get there. Moments like that are just <sighs> amazing. Yeah, we get um, we get the White Sword and Logan who have to look into mirrors and see everyone they've ever killed mm -hmm. and not show any emotion. Yeah. And Logan can't not have a tear. Yeah. Uh, he is regretful for everyone he's had to kill. Yeah. <laughs> then there's, uh, <laughs> Magic and Wolverine and Gorgon on this beach. What are we doing here? <laughs> the rock sirens are... Uh, these are the rock sirens of Clevermore. Few can resist their call. And Logan looks at Magic like, let's get out of here. I think Gorgon's gonna fuck that boulder. As <laughs> 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 he's pulling off his robe. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Uh, there's a task where it's Captain Avalon in war, and the task is kill the kitten. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Avalon just looks at war. He's like, you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, war. Just, like I said. What is just, it good for? 
killing kittens, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we get, um, then we find out that, yeah, Storm is not useless without her powers. Turns out she How can, that uh, was a question, I'll never know. It, 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 it turns out she can defeat death without her powers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was brilliant. And very clearly, that was the that that was the resolution of the card that she had, right? Yeah, yeah, the how she did that. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, then we move on to Hellion next, which has to probably be the best of three this week. Just oh, you because, think so? Just because, and the only reason I say that is just because how big of an absolute shit dick Sinestro or uh, uh Sinestro, Sinestro. Mr. Sinestro. Sinestro. <laughs> I I am shocked if only because that means you like to book better than Cable. Oh, I, I and I don't know if I honestly but here's the deal I can't rank these to be honest. Yeah. I mean you asking me to pick between kids at that point or something but like oh my god such like like you always know sinister is is a tool bag but like no one could have suspected this level of tool baggery from which even from him i mean that's the thing right like on the one hand this book is absolutely not what i expected to be like nope. i expected a they actually end up getting pulled into the contest and betsy or someone ends up being the 10th champion and blah 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 yeah yeah on sure. the other hand I don't know how this was not the most predictable book in this series because, of course, Sinister is just in it for himself and is going to fuck over everything. Right! Yeah, absolutely! Oh my god, yeah, like, okay, well, we've got some mutants. Well, the other thing is, I love that we meet Arako's Sinister equivalent. Yes. Yeah, oh my god, like, and just as bad as he is. Absolutely. Holy cow. And Sinister <laughs> wants to steal his library of genetic samples. That is that is what we're all about now. And how does he do this, Alex? With his box of nano nano oh. mosquitoes. Yes. Who go and <laughs> capture DNA for him. I had, I think, repressed that moment because that was horrifying. <laughs> his GCDs, genetic collection drones that are little tiny mosquito drones that swarm and steal dna yes yeah oh my god that's so awful yeah um and then we find the hell hellion essentially just getting their asses handed to them by this squad of of modified arakan yeah. clones yeah mutant clones yes oh my oh like not even close um and sinister knowing exactly who he is sacrifices sacrifices and i say that in air quotes himself to get this dna to uh Quanid so she can take it back to krakoa yeah yeah and then well then we get a page that explains how the four who who were sent back who made it back yeah. traveled across other world and the unfortunate status of of uh lady saturnine's missing horse yeah oops um sorry uh what's her name princess yeah um so four of them three and a half of them make it back to Araco. <laughs> yeah just for sinister to show up and murder them all swing home for a oh, new oh, cape oh, but, so 
because remember, Sinister has clones of himself, and one of yeah. them stayed behind. Oh, yeah. was that the one who stayed behind? Yes. Oh, yeah, the Sinister that went with them is dead. He got literally sliced up. Okay, right? that makes more sense. Yeah, so this was the Sinister that was stayed behind on Krakoa and was just waiting for them to get back. Duh, okay, yes, beautiful, brilliant, love it. Um... And when they show up through the gate, he's waiting for them, and it's Havoc and Quanan and, uh, let's see, who else? Um, shoot, I can't remember, uh, names. These are, these are mutants I'm not as familiar with, but, um, but regardless, Sinister's sitting there waiting for them, and drops these smoke bombs, and stabs Quanan through the heart, and shoots, uh, Havoc in the head. And dissolves. Uh, God, this is the one I can't think of the name. Was of. it Gray Crow? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, and I love it. He drops these smokes, and he's like, uh, "Oh yeah, sorry about the smoke, but you know, everybody's got cameras these days." <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Uh, and then comes running out, screaming, "Oh my god, help! There's been a terrible attack. My precious aliens, they're dead." Yep. And plays it off that. He's the only one that made it back. Now, the I, I, I say this good news, right? Is that Quanan and Havoc and Greycrow did make it back to Krakoa. Yes. So they can be brought back as as is. What happens if half of you dies in Krakoa? No, uh, Empath did crawl out the rest of the way. So I guess he completely yeah. died in Krakoa. Yeah, Empath. Oh, yeah, Empath also. Yeah, that's right. Made it back. So, yeah, Empath. Uh, is in um, Krakoa as well. Yeah. But we get like mother and um, nanny and wild child, wild and child, orphan yeah, maker. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. Who all died, not even in other world, but on Amen. What right? What happens if you die in Araco? We don't know. We have no idea. So, guess we'll find out. Yeah. But God, Sinister is such a. Oh, like literally the worst in them. I have a question. Yeah. What do you think happens if the amino fetus actually eats? Oh, I don't know, but it really scares me to think of it. Because, like, even even Tarn's minions, like, stop fighting to try to stop him from eating when it looks like he's about to eat. Like, Like, I I mean, all I can think of is gremlins, right? You know? Yeah, although... Fair. Uh, yeah. So then we have Cable, which starts out essentially with Sinister coming to the Quiet Council, or, you know, those that are there. Yeah, after swinging home for a cape. Right, and basically saying, um, no, you're not listening. No one that went over there is coming back. It's it's a fucking shit show. Um, which is not completely wrong about. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get uh, Cable having his contest against Bay of the Blood Moon, which I... I, I I really enjoyed that they actually showed this contest. So he, one of the things is it is a legit fight with swords, with, you know, like what we all thought it was going to be from the start. Yeah. And Cable actually has the upper hand, can win this fight. Yeah. But is unwilling to kill Bay of the Blood Moon because he knows it's Doug's wife. Yeah. And because he hesitates then, she is then able to essentially do it and doug pleads for his life and saturnine says that you know nope i announced that this was to the death 
but then relents and says, but somehow, sometimes some deaths are of the spirit. And because Cable is broken. Yeah. By losing this fight. Because all he wanted to do was make his parents proud. And this is clearly the fool card moment. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is also where Saturnine cuts off Scott and Gene's connection to Cable to be able to spy. Which read to me 100% as she absolutely knew that it was there. Uh Uh-huh. And permitted it for her own plans. Yeah, I mean, I think she and even says... And is cutting it now also for her own plan. Yeah. I've, I've tolerated tol- the spying for long enough, I think. Yeah. She clearly wanted them to know so that they can instigate something. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. She is playing a much longer plan with all of this and has obviously a lot of moving pieces she's trying to put in place. Right? Yeah. And so going after that, going into this, the score is 18 to six in favor of Araco. And then White Sword makes a mistake. <laughs> does he make a mistake, though, or does he know? I don't know. That's a good question. Because like, the White Sword, one, he fucking hates the horseman. Yes. And two, he says point blank, no, I just kept this going so you would beg. I think he knew what he was doing. Could be. So it's Gorgon versus White Sword, and White Sword essentially says, yeah, you'll face me after you make it through all 100 of my swords. Yeah. And begins summoning them. First he summons one, and Gorgon literally decapitates him. Then he summons two and three, and Gorgon drops both of them. And then four, five, and six. (laughs) And essentially we end up with, um, hey... Saturnine counts each one of his swords that he kills as a win, as a point in the contest. Yeah. And essentially that then brings Krakoa one ahead, in which case then White Sword summons all the rest of them and they overwhelm Gorgon and kill him. Yeah. Which or, I ties guess us the, up again. Don't kill him? Because, no, they don't kill him. They wound him. Great. Yeah. Right. And then yeah, White Sword. Yeah. And then White Sword kills him. Yeah. Which, um,. So it's super, super interesting wording here, right? Where um, White Sword basically says, in a moment it will all be over, and when it's done, I will restore you, and you will serve me. And Gorgon says, never, I walk my own path. And White Sword says, I could impose my will on you. And Gorgon says, not over me. And like White Sword has respect for that, and it's yeah. like, so be it, and kills him. To which... You see Apocalypse standing with Doug and Cable and Magic and saying, that is how a mutant dies, children. Yeah. Which is a callback. Yeah. That's a callback to the the uh, rights on Krakoa that we saw for mutants who had been depowered. Yep, the arena. to er- Yeah, the arena <laughs> to earn the right to be reborn with their powers again yes yep and by fighting apocalypse (laughs) and that they have to stand unflinchingly and accept their death to do it yes yep and so essentially after this contest is over then it is now 19 to 19 and we are tied and now it's time for mommy and daddy to fight and I, yeah, I love that they both they both just call Saturnine out in this. She's like, mm. and now next the cards will reveal, and they're both like, okay, you know what? Fuck this shit. We both know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Apocalypse and Genesis just walk out to, to do battle. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, that's where we end this week. 
Yeah. I cannot remember the last time I got to the end of an issue and immediately needed the next one in my hands. Like, it is it is just baked into me that, okay, I wait. That is fine. I don't right. mind waiting. Yeah. This one was tough. This, this is going to was... be... Yeah. This is going to be an I sit in my car and read the rest of this at yeah. the oh, comic yeah, yeah. shop. This is going to be Tuesday. Um, okay, I'm going to go to lunch now, and lunch is going to be getting getting these and reading them because gots to know. And we get our we get our finish this week. Yeah. God, so good, folks. Like, hands down, one of the best storylines in many, many, many years. Yeah, and I, I, they build it as a crossover, which of course because it crosses over books. But in some ways, I don't even read it that way, right? Yeah, I and I think this is something we said we expected, and I think it was yeah pretty clear. It, it reminds me more of what they've done with Batman sometimes, right? Where it's just all the Bat books that cross over, or like Spider Man has done it. Yeah, some sometimes where it's just a spider event, right? It's just the spider books that cross over. And the fact that they've done it weekly in a very super clear and delineated, this is the story. Like, you know, the books that cover a character like Wolverine, I mean, they weren't even necessarily about Wolverine. They were just the next part of the story. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, so we are in the process of planning our favorite books of 2020 episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we're actually, after we record this, going to sit down and have a conversation about how do we count Ten of Swords. And I think yes. the answer is going to have to be like, the Ten of Swords story we treat as an event series, not as individual issues of what, seven different books? Yeah. Eight different books? Yeah. Or, you know, I, I don't know, we still have my proposal, which is just call the whole thing Horny Krakoa and count it as one thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just a reminder that favorite list, I mean, this is why we say favorites and not best of, it's all arbitrary and subjective. Oh, yeah, it's, it's our own opinion about yep. stuffs. Yep, you got it. Uh, Gee, surprise, surprise, guess what's going to be on Brian's list? <laughs> spoilers, we like X-Men, a book we spend at least half an hour every week talking, or a, a, a corner, much. a series of books. Yes, indeed. An entire editorial office, we spend... At least half an hour of every episode talking about. Yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good. All right. All right. Is it still good? Once in future, number 13, we begin our third arc, uh, which opens with an omen of magpies appearing before Bridget, who compares a pair of nursery rhymes to decide whether the six magpies before her promise a good omen or an ill omen and then the magpies answer her something is killing the children number 12 uh things are about as bleak as they have been in this book as the order of saint george shows up while several monsters are still on the loose and we learn maybe where these monsters come from and get an idea of how they are brought into the world. And all of it is a really, really good bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Barbalian, Red Planet number one, Brian. Um, yeah, so this is exactly uh, what was promised, which is a... It, it's, it takes place in two different time frames. It takes place in modern day, where uh, he is on Mars and standing accused of 
you know, being a traitor to Mars. Uh, and then we go back to the 80s where he is a police officer on Earth and uh, get that story started up. And it, it's very much going to be a internal question questions he has to answer about himself, about who he is and what he stands for and all that. Cool. Yeah. Batman number 103. How about this book? Um, <laughs> uh, Batman and Ghost Hunter face off. Ghost Maker. Ghost Maker. I'm sorry. Batman and Ghost Maker face off. Killer Clown goes for uh, goes goes for a Harley. And Harley is just sitting there talking to Poison Ivy. A cutting of the plant, not uh, Pamela yes. Isley, where where she talks about having rashes in places she really shouldn't. Yes, and then kisses it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> Still good. This does have my quote of the week here. Brian's quote of the week. And quote, it's, quote. it's literally just the fact that uh, so they crash into her apartment, her new apartment, and Batman is literally stabbed with swords from uh, Ghostmaker, and uh, like really, really not in good shape. Um, so Harley leans over him and goes, "Hey, people who listen to Batman's head radio thing, he's been stabbed a bunch." We're here in Little Prisca, blah, 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 blah. The kid from the Narrows who killed all those clowns is tied up. Guessing whoever's stabbing is going to show up in a second and try to finish the job. So, uh, help. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Harley steals the Batman book. Yeah. She is so... I I love her in the in Bat Family adjacent. Yeah. Yes. Catwoman number 27. Remember how last time Catwoman said she was going to pull a heist? Catwoman pulls a heist. Yeah, she does. Yeah, it's this a really, really satisfying heist, it too. It is, too, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, deceased. Hope at World's End number 14. Brian. Uh, we get the opening parts of our battle to protect uh, uh, Ivy, you know, the botanical gardens in Gotham. Yeah, the sanctuary, and we find out what it is Lex was really up to in recruiting Wink and Pied Piper. And there is one more issue of this left. Yep, one more. Ice Cream Man number twenty-one. We get a Watchmen-inspired crime noir murder mystery PI story, uh, with one a horrifying premise about ritual sacrifice to an ice cream-themed cult. And two, an unexpected ending that I absolutely dug. Uh, I will never not love this book, apparently. Stillwater, number three. We start to get, answers is not the word, but we start to learn about life in Stillwater. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 53. Peter Parker is the last one to the party as he too learns who is under Kindred's mask. The Immortal Hulk, number 40. Doc Samson returns through Sasquatch's green door, giving us Doc Sasquatch as Henry Gyrick decides to torment the captive, he believes Bruce Banner or Hulk. It is, in fact, Mr. Fixit. As Hulk and Mr. Fixit, the last two personalities standing stage their escape from Alpha Flight. Uh, as a side note, I really wonder with Al Ewing writing this and introducing 
Gyric as uh, the person behind Gamma Flight. Pretend I said Gamma Flight every time I just said Alpha Flight. Yeah, I, I, I mentally yeah. change those out. Sure. Um, I wonder if this is going to, if if his being in charge of Gamma Flight is going to inform Al Ewing's sword ongoing. Mm. I know that in the comics, Gyric has ties to sword. But I also know the thing I know him from first was the X-Men animated series where he was behind the Sentinel program. Yeah. And one of the things from House of Ten and Power or House of X and Powers of Ten that we haven't seen a lot of dealt with recently was the like interstellar Sentinel production platform. Right, the mother platform yeah. or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, so just an aside, I think I think that might be seeding some ideas for X-Men. Juggernaut, number three. Uh, Juggernaut stands trial for his, or maybe really Peter Parker's, role in uh, bankrupting a construction company. And we learn how uh, uh, Juggernaut got his groove back. And by groove, I mean the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. Oh. Heist, or How to Steal a Planet number 8. This is the series finale. I was not prepared for how absolutely satisfying this last issue would be. Um, I expected kind of like one of two outcome. And they somehow both managed to be true, but then also have like two or three other twists on top that were just so fucking good. Uh, if you have not read this book, definitely check out the whole thing in trade. It's a really, really good heist story. And so funny and, and yeah, clever. Sarah and the Royal Stars, number nine. This is our second to last issue of this. Uh, we sort of see how everything that has happened so far sets Sarah and the rest of our heroes up to to fight off the Draco twins. Uh, it's just a really beautiful book. It's so good, and I, I tweeted about this the other day from the Panelology account, but it does a really good job of balancing, like, fresh ideas and personal, sta personal stakes with big mythological fantasy in a way that I think is actually really tricky to pull off. Uh, and then Shadow Service, number four. Um, we learn Coil's origin, and then weird things happen with art that I don't entirely stand, understand. Um, so I guess I may not know art, but I know what I like, and it's this book. <laughs> this week's books. Uh, Brian and I have a lot of overlap in our lists. That's uh, not too shocking. So let's start with the other history of the DC Universe. This is John Ridley, uh, sort of a mixed comics prose project that takes a look at marginalized characters in the DC Universe. The first one is Jefferson Pierce, right? I believe that's correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, this is something we've both talked about a bunch before, because uh, it's been solicited a couple of times. And that we are both super excited for. Yeah. Tell me about Power Pack number one, Brian. Oh, man. You know, I, I, I don't know what it is about Power Pack that I like so much. There's just something something I like. Maybe it's the primary colors. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, um, they are getting back together, and the problem is now it is 100% modern day, and you know we have the outlawed teen law that's in effect that they can't use their powers because they're teens. So, yep. uh, yeah, going to be a problem. We also have Suicide Squad number 11, the final issue. Yeah, this is going to wrap up uh, the current storyline as far as what's going on with the bomb and Black Mask, you know, starting that whole thing and, you know, our our wrap up to the fallout from Deadshot. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the last three Ten of Swords books. X-Men number 15, Excalibur number 15, Ten of Swords Destruction. We don't need to say anything else about that. Uh, I, I, I'm super, super psyched to find out what's finally going to happen. Same. Yeah. Same. As always, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash merch, capital P, capital M. Or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag capital p capital m i'm alex and i am brian go read comics